Hey y'all, welcome back to Handy Slapped. I am your host, Jordan Schrader, and today we are concluding our two-part conversation all on disability advocacy. On this episode, we have Emily Wolinski from Texas. She is a huge advocate in the disabled community, and she had a lot to say about this. Coming right up on Handy Schlaft. Don't go away. Now we're here with a great guest today. Her name is Emily Walensky. Let's welcome her to the show. Hey, Emily, how are you doing today? Great, I'm awesome. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no problem. And uh, we're doing a series right now on disability uh, advocacy. And last week I had a great conversation with TK Small all the way in Brooklyn. And we had talked for well over an hour just all about disability advocacy in general and how it's looking right now. We covered how the nonprofits are doing with advocacy and what it used to look like, what it looks like today, and how individual advocacy, like um, disabled people using Instagram and YouTube, how that's really changed what disability advocacy looks like and the exposure and just how, what it's like now. But that's just a recap. Tell us about you. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, that's a big question. I, huh, um, I'm, well, I'm 43. Um, I moved to Austin, Texas 21 years ago um, after graduating from college. Um, when I went, I went to college, um, in Pennsylvania at a school that was, um, really into the social model of disability. So they were, it was just kind of like a, a really accessible school, Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania. And there were, there were, there were about, uh, maybe about 75 students using chairs and with, like severe disabilities, I guess, like with high need type of disabilities on campus. And so um, we were relegated to two dormitories um, that were co-ed as well as um, like mixed with, you know, people without disabilities and people with disabilities. So they were integrated. Um, and we had 24 hour, seven day a week care in the dorms. And I went to college there and kind of really discovered what the independent living philosophy meant, um, what it meant to direct my own attendant care, and what it meant to um, kind of manage my life in a way where there weren't a lot of uh, barriers. Because because of the 24-7 access to care, um, and they had great transportation on campus, and everything was really accessible, and when you went to the cafeteria, they had meal aids that would help you get your food and feed you if you needed help eating. And um, there was just so many opportunities to get assistance without having to really worry about it that um, I was able to do that without my family and manage my life in a way that I could kind of see what the future could be if I yeah. had, you know, care. And um, 
And so when I graduated, I didn't want to move home because, you know, care depends on what state you live in and also what county in that state that you live in. And so I lived, um, I grew up in upstate. Yeah. So I I grew up in upstate New York and in the county that I lived in, um, I could only get about two hours of attendant care a day. And, um, or it would have been really, really, like really non-existent. And so it was once I graduated and I, I had a look at coming home and wanting to live on my own, I couldn't feasibly imagine um, surviving at home with my family and going back to that world. Um, I grew up near a lot of farms like yourself. So, I mean, I grew up in a really rural area of upstate New York and there just weren't, there were transportation systems. There really weren't any systems. So I kind of felt like I had no choice but to kind of try somewhere else. And so um, I moved to Austin after pulling it out of a cup. I put a bunch of cities in a cup and I basically just said like whatever city I pull out, I'm going to just go and make a life in. And so I pulled Austin in March of 1999 and a week after graduating from college, I um, got on a train and one of my friends who was an attendant at the college where I went to, she was like, I have nothing to do all summer. So she was like, I'll go with you. So I got on a train and I came out to Texas and I figured out how to get an apartment and how to use um, kind of low income housing and, and housing, you know, vouchers. And I learned how to use the public transportation system and I learned how to navigate the tenant care world and I basically just forced myself to learn and um and slowly but surely over very much time um I built my life and um and then when I got into my 30s um I was a teacher and I was tired of teaching I was really burnt out and just physically exhausted So I decided that I was going to leave teaching and kind of start looking at doing some kind of advocacy work or work with people with disabilities. But I was really more interested in working with um, people that had neuromuscular disabilities, not because I'm, you know, like, I don't know, like ableist in our direction, but I just knew how to navigate that world and I knew what other people must be going through. And I was like, I have to help people do this. Like, there's no way that people can do this without help. And I was just like, I need to find a way to to start um, doing that. So within a few years, um, I got connected on Facebook uh, to TK Small, who we chatted with, and um, with some other folks, uh, Dominic Evans. um, There were other people in the group, Lorinda Gonzalez, uh, Alex Landis. Um, there was five of us. Why can't I think of everybody right now? Yeah, I think that was so. There was Alex, Lorinda, Dominic, TK, and me. And we wrote basically our plan. We wrote an NMD United dream, a kind of an idea of bringing people with neuromuscular disabilities, adults, together um, and helping them navigate. Um, all the challenges and all the things that the Muscular Dystrophy Association really wasn't able to help with. And, um, and it's grown and it's developed and um, 
it's probably like I consider it like my child. <laughs> I think of it like my legacy, like my future. Like it's ever, it's a, basically a culmination of all my work in life. And so, because um, we, you know, we started the organization and it's grown and developed, and you know, we have more board members. We've lost board members. Board members have passed away. Um, we've, you know, we've grown our grant funding programs. We actually we got uh, we were were given a grant to run a program last year and you know we're kind of developing but it's taking a long time um it's not easy we're all volunteers so it's just it's work um but it's great work and um and i you know i'm, I'm just happy to do whatever i can to help people oh of course so you guys were like the pioneers for disability independence in some way and there's so many people look up to you guys with how you teach the rest of us and you um bring those segues and um just trailblazing how to get to an independent life when those that are disabled are just feeling stuck i'm sorry stuck i'll cut that out yeah you disabled people that just feel stuck in life like there's no way out like they're stuck at home they're stuck permanently with their SSI restrictions. They can't move out properly or they can't get married and so on and so forth. Like these are still realities today, but you guys have set an example on that there is a way. There's a way mm -hmm. for you to live the life that you want to live regardless of your neuromuscular disease or similar, you know? And that's just mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you guys so much for how you brought so many resources to this. And that just had to be so much work as you were talking about. And, you know, is that like what really drove you to this? Why today, in retrospect, why do you feel so strongly about disability advocacy? Um, well, I'm a survival, I'm really survival oriented. I am very stubborn and I believe firmly that if one person who has a generally similar situation I, that I have, if one person is doing something that that I've been told that I can't do, but I can see it right in front of me and I'm told that it's happening. Like there's absolutely no reason why I can't. So as long as I can meet one person then that has whatever they need to get through the day, then that tells me that I can get it. So um like for instance, 24 hour a day care, this is, you know, this is like a, a magic thing. It's there's but there are people that have it, you know. So my first question is, okay, how did they get it? You know what I mean? Like, what do I need to do if I ever need to get it? Right. Like, what, how do I make my case? Like, and because I know it exists, I know it can happen. And so I, I get really frustrated with um, people that, that basically try to box you in and say, well, it's not going to work here. You're not going to do, I, I really don't like that. So I'm always like, whenever I talk to anybody, I'm like, 
if you are in a state and you want to know if this is possible, you need to find one other person that's doing it and then it's possible. And so, um, yeah. And, and so, and I also like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just over time. Um, you get more jaded, you get more frustrated and you, you start to realize that, you know, the system itself is, is a system that needs that's broken. And so therefore participating in a broken system can sometimes lead you down in interesting uh, navigation routes. So for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. Um, today, I just got off the phone with um, the Fiscal Service Management Agency, which is an acronym. It's an FSMA. And in Texas, an FSMA is the agency that you work with um, when you do your own attendant care delivery of services. So you, you're the, your own manager of attendant care. Right. And so I, so right now I have three, three people that work for me um, and I manage their hours and I manage their timesheets. And then once I send the timesheets, I send them to the agency, the FSMA, and they um, process all of those timesheets. And so um, I talked to them today because they're instituting a new policy called electronic visit verification. Yes. Or EBV. Wow. Um, and EBV is a big issue that NMD United has been working on for a really long time. But, you know, we're, we're, we've made some strides as far as getting it delayed or, you know, at least getting it on the plates of some of our politicians and senators and House of Representative folks. And, you know, we've been trying to get that, that legislation to change for a while because it's so incredible incredibly violating of our privacy and our autonomy. Um, and so anyway, I was on the phone today with my FSMA talking to them about electronic ver visit verification. And we were discussing the logistics of how it was going to work. And it looks as if um, I'm not going to have any other choice but to download, download this app onto a smartphone. And my attendants are going to have to log in and out every time they come and see me. Okay, which, I've heard you know, something like that. Yeah. So they they sign in on the app when they come in and then they sign out when they come leave, right? Sounds simple enough. So I was like, okay, well, what if myself my attendants don't want to download this app onto their phones because it does geo tracking. It tracks your location. It tracks like everywhere you go. Right. It, it can, it requires sometimes, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of invasive. They may not want to use it. And so I said, well, what, what can I do? I said, can I log in via a website? And they were like, well, no, you can't use a website. You have to use this app because it has to be connected to a device that is geo tracking you. And so I was like, okay, well, what if I get, um, a burner phone or some kind of smartphone that does, that's not attached to any of us. And then that just becomes the device they log in and out of. And they were kind of going back and forth. They weren't sure if I needed an, an, a specific device for each of my attendants. So that would mean buying three burner phones or if, if we could just on. use one, we could just use one, but here's the fun part. This is the part that got me angry. <laughs> I, I said, well, 
if it's geo-tracking my location, what happens if I go out of the state? And they said, you can't go out of the state. And I said, what? And they what? said, you can't leave the state or your attendance will be in a violation of, of their app recording them as out of state and you're receiving services that are not in Texas. Therefore, you can't go on vacation. You can't go anywhere. You can't see your family. You can't, I mean, and, and they don't say it like that, but that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing, you know, I'm, not, I'm hearing, okay, so if I have a work conference and I have to leave the state to go out of town for work and I want to bring my attendant with me, I can't go. And if I want to go to see my dad in Florida, my parents don't live here. So maybe I want to go visit my family somewhere. Maybe I want to go visit friends. Maybe I just want to go to Vegas one weekend, whatever. Like, yeah, I can't do that. And enjoy yourself. Right, but because I have to be tethered to this device that has to remain in the state of Texas, like Joy. I can't, I can't go anywhere. And oh. and and it's and so I, you know, I'm on the phone with this guy, and I I'm bringing this up, and I'm saying, so I can't go on vacation anymore. I'm not, and he's like, and I'm like, and I'm like, who do I need to talk to to get permission, you know, to go to to go out of state and he's like well 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 you know and i'm like oh so you guys don't have yeah. any you don't know anybody yeah. you don't know anybody that is doing this yet but they're supposedly reviewing this from a state level making sure that we're signing in and out at the right location at the right time and i'm like and so he's like well yeah you're just you know this is not allowed and i i guess technically it's never been allowed so I'm not going to admit to going on vacation in the past because I guess I, that's not ever been allowed, but mm -hmm. I guess people in Texas are not allowed to leave the state once they start receiving attendant care services, mm -hmm. which is, I think would be news to our community. And that makes me really angry. And I think about all the other people that it would probably make very angry. And that is what sparks me to do things for NMB United because People need to know this stuff. They need to ask these questions. And then I was like, I want the name of the person that I need to talk to when I want to leave the state. <laughs> and the guy was like, so let's be stuck. And I'm like, because I need to write them a letter <laughs> and ask them if I can leave the state of Texas. And I'm going to write them a very long letter explaining all the places I like to go and the things I want to do in my life and how this app is stopping me. And he was like, well, yeah, we're going to need your letters. We're going to need your, you know, like you have damages or things that you're occurring because of this, you know, we need you to do this. And so we need it in order for us to get things like this to stop in order for us to be able to visit our families and go out of state and, and, you know, like live lives that are like anyone else. Um, we need to know these things and we need to know how to advocate and fight. And so you know, the best thing to do is get connected to other people. And I do that with the nonprofit. That's what my goal is to basically gossip and gossip until things get done. Good. <laughs> I, that's guess. what I like to hear. Speak it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's not acceptable. It's not, it's that kind of stuff isn't acceptable to me. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And it's, it just, um, it's really thoughtless and terrible, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that, that they don't, they don't consider that. Um, 
And so I feel like they underestimate us because of things like the telethon, which just basically said that we should all be dead by now. And, you know, the, the Jerry Lewis telethon and the Muscular Dystrophy Association, you know, kind of just always talked, talked about us as medical, as medical examples, medical terms, where everything is in terms of, you know, our, our worth as far as how much strength we have or not. And everything is about our muscles and our cures and our treatments and our doctors and our, but they don't look at things like our quality of life as far as our jobs, our relationships, our, you know, our, our relationship to attendant care, our, our physical, you know, our dignity of ourselves and the worth of our bodies and like, and our, our sense of privacy, our love, our consent, um, you know, all this stuff, they don't, the Muscular Dystrophy Association doesn't really touch on any of that. Oh and gosh, so, no, since I've been alive, that's all I ever heard was just a medical this, you're going to die this day, unless you, you get a donation of $5,000, you can live <laughs> just a little bit longer. Oh my gosh, it's yeah, such a joke. And yeah. it's no wonder that um, because the MDA telethon and more is so ingrained into the culture in such a way that it's no wonder why you look at a disabled person and all you think about is medical terminology or the hospital. It's like we live with the hospital. We come out for our day of sunshine and we go right back to the hospital again. It's like that's the culture and the society thinks that's all the disabled mm -hmm. life is. And like, right, no wonder right. there's this so terrible awareness for it. Like no matter how hard we try, it still like reverts back to that. Like, like oh my gosh, disabled people live on their own? Oh my word, disabled right. people are, they can be in love. And what I love about it as well is you watch these movies, you know, like movies that try to um, depict the life of a disabled person and they make everything so easy. It's like, oh, they have 24-hour care. No problem. Oh, they're traveling. No problem. Like, they don't show any of the other stuff with that. They make it, it's so romanticized. And you know, yeah, they don't show yeah, any of yeah. that. Well, they don't, they don't know because the people that are making those movies and the people that are making those television shows are not people with disabilities. So they have no idea what our 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 viewpoint is like they don't even care you know the closest thing i found to accurate disability representation is from steve way and rami um rami on hulu steve way has a neuromuscular disability and his best friend is rami yusuf who is the creator of the show and so the creator of the show and steve have been best friends for so long that they like he understands what steve deals with so they've been able to write things into the show that actually make sense you know and and that are not romanticized and i you know i really i'm i'm really hopeful um because that 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 that's a huge thing for us i mean not just people with neuromuscular disabilities but for people with disabilities i mean the way rami has behaved um that that show is a really good model of how it should be done um, you know, bringing in, you know, Rami said that 
when he had um, women on the show, like women characters, that the, he had women writers writing for the women, you know, he had Steve writing his disabled character. Like, so it was, it, it helps because it, it just overall the representation gets better. And I've found that especially charities that are medical model based or cure treatment, big charities, you know, they're mostly run by people that do not have disabilities. They may have someone in their life that they've known with a disability, but generally they don't really have any insight into what we go through. And they're, you know, primarily fundraising machines. They really don't have any interest in actual like on the ground help. You know, um, I, they had, they started a, a phone number that you could call or a resource center with the Muscular Dystrophy Association. You could call this resource center and supposedly, and this has been a while since I've called or even have dealt with it, but supposedly they had people on the line that were like social workers and case managers that would actually research your questions. And so it was funny because people would, they would contact me and they'd be like, I called the resource center and they just Googled the answer, but they really don't know it. And they're like, do you know the answer? And I was like, yes, of course I do. This is what you need, you know? And I'd like walk them through the actual steps of getting things accomplished. And when people had questions for me, I'd be like, I want you to ask me this question. And then I also want you to call the Muscular Dystrophy Association and ask them the same question and tell me who gives you a better answer. And mm-hmm. 10 times out of 10, it was the, it was us. It was us giving the better answers. It was other peers with neuromuscular disabilities that were able to answer these questions. And yet the Muscular Dystrophy Association has these people hired to do this, but yet they all they do is they're just Googlers. I mean, they're just master Google. I mean, like, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Maybe they have hired some people with MD or, you know, that, that have some skills, but I, I wasn't really finding, you know, and then it's even funnier when MDA refers people back to us and MD United because mm-hmm. they're they, like the people like they're like, oh, you need it. You need your wheelchair paired. Oh, we don't do that anymore. But NMD United has a grant, you know, and so therefore right. they're sending them over to us. And we literally are like we we don't even have like a tenth of a percent of what MDA brings in. I mean, MDA brings in like $117 million a year. And we bring in like, in the, like we're, we're, we haven't even hit a hundred grand yet as an organization. We're tiny, tiny, little, you know, we're like a little baby organization. Yet the big guys are free oh, no. adults to us. Right. And they don't give, you know, and we don't see, I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely, it's just mind blowing. And so, and then they just have, you know, they have another telethon and they get, they'll get, you know, probably another 120 million and they'll keep doing what they do. But ultimately the groundwork, the hard work is not being done by them. I don't think. No, of course not. And it's frustrating because um, that's why it takes, you know, people like us or the, the smaller companies or the smaller organizations or just individually bringing in the awareness that should have been handled years ago, if not decades ago. It's like 
the irony is we're the ones that have to play catch up with something that should have already been done. And it's, 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 it's astounding to me. It really is. Well, I mean, the entire business model of the Muscular Dystrophy Association has nothing to do with disabled people. So right. the, the, the first thing you have to think of is we're, we're, not, we're not part of that process. We are the products. We are the, we are their, you know, it, we're not even considered almost human to them. We right. are their, we are their, fi- where are their financing? We're their, we're their, their money arm, but we are not the, like who they're actually supporting. They're supporting themselves. I mean, most of the Muscular Dystrophy Association hires, you know, fundraisers, you know, they call them things like support coordinators and all kinds of things, but it's all just fundraising. It's all just part of the game to bring in more funds. But what is done with those funds is just hiring more fundraisers. It's like an endless cycle that feeds itself, you know, and like we are just the pawns that they use to get the money in. Like we, there really isn't, the ultimate goal isn't really to cure us because if we, if they cured us, they wouldn't be there anymore. Like, yeah. you know, and, very true. and I don't believe that a lot of the treatments that are coming out right now are really funded that much by MDA. They, they have a little bit of funding in a lot of different places, but they, they stopped treating a lot of, or not treating, but they stopped paying for research for a lot of the, the disabilities that are already forming coalitions and other groups like Pure SMA. Pure SMA pretty much took over for SMA. So MDA doesn't really have to do anything and they just get to ride the coattails of whatever a Pure SMA does, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's, Duchenne is the same thing. There's, you know, ALS, um, that's another one. They, they have their own funding streams that are that are funding research in those areas, and so if they do find treatment, it usually just MDA just tags on and says, "Oh yeah, we were there, we helped," but they really didn't mm-hmm. do much. They really don't do much at all. Right, man, that's a punch in the gut for them right there, and they are, they need it. They do, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's true. You know, I just like what you're saying because. It's what we're all thinking, but not all of us have been able just to say it in those words. And a lot of times it does feel that way. It does feel like we're just sometimes, not always, but being used as puppets or mascots for something else, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's, what, that's just why so many people um, have a bad taste in their mouth when they think of these things, especially now with the telethon and speaking of the telethon it's back and people are pissed about it oh yeah i mean i'm i'm with them i'm with them (laughs) i mean it's just because it's not they're not learning anything like they're not there's there's literally been no press i i as much as they've tried to rebrand and they've you know they've done like they they really don't know. They just don't know. They don't have any respect for the elders, the people that have, you know, the adults who've grown up and who've, who've spoken out and they haven't heard us because if they would have, 
if they would have ever have asked or listened or anything, like they would have known that not only, you know, you don't revive this pity show that, that harmed so many of us. And like, and, and I realized it didn't harm everybody. And I realized that like the ultimate goal of the Muscular Dystrophy Association, their mission is to fund research to, to eradicate muscular dystrophy, whatever that means. But like, honestly, like, I think I, I, it's just, it's just sad to see them go backwards. There's so many things they could have done to improve the organization and to get, to make, you know, to really make a difference. And they just, they obviously just don't care. I mean, they just don't care. Um, they, for instance, why are they not, why is not every single MDA office staffed with people that have neuromuscular disabilities? Right. We have such a low unemployment, we have such high unemployment as a population. We are all, you know, and we have, if we're as great as they try to like promote us to be on the telephone, if we're as special and as inspirational and as all the things, then then give us the jobs to help us run the organization. Like no pay us, thank you. you. Know, pay us and pay us well, and like and pay us to fundraise and pay us to do the things. But the thing is, is that if we did that, then we wouldn't be able to be pitied, and that would change their entire business model. And so, mm -hmm. like the more people they have working for them. The, the more that goes against their overall angle, you know? So like they, they can't really hire us without, because like that would just make it look like we're too capable and independent and we're, you know, like, so, and like they could do so much to help us fight for attendant care wages and increases. They could, they could supplement our attendant care wages. They could provide respite care for families. They could, I mean, they have so many millions of dollars. They could do so much. Oh, so to much that they could do, but they're not. They don't do any of it, and mm -hmm. and, and 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 it's unacceptable. <laughs> I keep saying that, but it's just like, why? Like, well, you took all this money to help us, and yet we don't see. I mean, supposedly it's research, but we're going to be dead before like any significant like treatments come out and many of us will have not just died but have suffered in getting there because we've had no wheelchairs to sit in we've had no you know we've had no attendant care our parents have abused us because we can't get out of the house and we're stuck in you know like there's mm. so many bad situations and they could be working on this they could have fixed they could have helped they could have helped you know and they didn't so um yeah, I'm sad about the telephone because it just basically says they're just they're just the same old thing. Nothing has changed. They haven't learned anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I know if you get to the root of the problem, if you bring a better quality of life or if you find a cure, then you take away all the money. Right. I mean, they're out of business, right? Bingo. And but, you know, someone but, in our community... Uh, wrote up an interesting piece about all this because obviously everyone in the disabled community, most of everyone is having quite a bit to say about all this, especially with um, the new telethon being announced. And this person says, 
um, and I quote, I don't want to be saved by your pity charity. I want civil rights. I want equal pay. I want equal marriage rights. I want access, end quote. Mm-hmm. And you know, that is so true. Yeah. These, are, these are other so many other things that the disabled community is struggling with that can easily be shifted over and focused upon. You know, and God bless people that are... But see, that's the thing. That's not the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and it never will be. And people have to give up trying to make them into something that they're not. They're never going to be that. So what we need, we can encourage them to support other organizations like NMB United that are actually doing those things for people. Um, Like, you know, MBA is not prevented from, like, supporting our mission. Like, Mm -hmm. they can sit there and say, hey... Hey, NMB United, you know, you are doing so many great things for adults with neuromuscular disabilities. We've funded these researchers. Why don't we give you, you know, why don't we fund you guys? Why don't we give you guys a million dollars so you can hire adults with neuromuscular disabilities and get stuff done? You know, they have so many things that they could do, and they don't even have to really change their structure necessarily, but they don't, they're not going to, and they're never going to, and there's no amount of you know, no amount of blogging or podcasting or it's ever going to make them change. What we need to do is we need to encourage our networks, everyone we know, to support grassroots, peer-led, peer-driven nonprofits for people with disabilities. It doesn't have to be neuromuscular, but we need to promote, like, us taking the reins and leading leading the charge and taking, you know, and, and just taking it into our own hands because no one, they don't get it. They don't understand us. They don't talk to us. They don't really, they don't identify with our challenges um, because it's, it's primarily run by people that don't have neuromuscular disabilities. And so, yeah, we just have to give up, I think, trying to change them because we're not going to. Right. Do you see disability reform happening anytime soon? Like I'm talking about like reform to Medicare, to Medicaid, and everything in between, all of that. Well, if reform means like get rid of (laughs) I mean, I I have a I'm I'm very scared. Well let's Um, say like um let's say like change or revise. Yeah, well, okay. I don't think it's going to change or revise for the better right now. Um, there's no signs pointing to it changing for the better. <laughs> like, there's no, I mean, we're looking at losing Social Security within a couple of years if the payroll tax gets eliminated. Um, so, I mean, it, uh, the current administration has never, like, they don't even have a disability policy. They don't even, they took down the disability websites and stuff, like, like on the date, first day they were in office. Like, I just don't think that it's really looking good for us. It, I, like, I don't think it's looking good for pretty much any American in the social system who needs social services right now. It's, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. Um, and we have a lot of work to do. And, 
the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we elect politicians that truly look like us and represent us. So like, we should be really focusing on getting people with disabilities into politics and in and into public roles where they can make a difference like think tanks and lobbying groups and we really i mean we really need to go and get some of our power you know we need to put our power in places where it's going to be it's going to matter um so i mean that all right i'm signing you up i'm signing up get in line i'm putting your name on the ballot i'll join you and tk no, yeah, 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 yeah. TK would, TK would love to run. I know he would, but no, I, 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 I picture it being somebody younger. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm too old for politics, I think. Um, and I don't, I don't really like being. Um, I love being. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with being the president of NMD United and talking to people. Um, but I'm not a politician, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, but I. I really do want to vote for people that look like me. I'm eager to vote for people that look like me. I, I, you know, Tammy Duckworth, she's so great. Like she's been, she's the one who got the airlines to finally um, start documenting about all the wheelchairs they're breaking. Like she finally held their, their Instead of just throwing them in the closet, basically on the plane. Seriously. Yeah, and she's finally like she finally said something because it happened to her, you know. And when and you know the reason why certain things get funded is really because of whose politicians, the politicians that have children with with, with special needs and other issues, you know, other other um, barriers. You know, you'll see things moving in those directions when you start seeing politicians that have experience with those things. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Biden, Biden wants to fund all kinds of cancer research. Well, why does he want to do that? Because his son died of cancer. Like, the, you know, it's tight. It, you, we have to get into the, the, we have to be able to influence the powerful people, the change makers. Um, so we have to participate and get involved in government and get involved in those those you know circles and like I I'm, I would love you know to be on a um, a disability action type committee that works with different political campaigns and helps them write their platform, but you know at the same time, um, a lot of it is like muscular dystrophy association. Kind of finagling in the sense that they're still trying to get people to act out of emotion versus just act out of like justice you know and so um you know that angle is 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 it's harder to get work done and and we still have to fight the emotional angle is something we have to really fight against because it's not about how you feel about someone it's about what what is justice like what is right versus wrong you know and you know, and if, if, if the only way we can get something done is to make somebody feel sorry for us, then we're never going to get it. I mean, we're not going to get a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you make it such, and you make it such a big emotional thing like that. It's so like in the moment, like there's no action to follow up with it, you know, and it becomes like these occasional big, 
um, pity movements. And when that's over, then they just move on. Like I don't, I, I rarely see like actual uh, follow-ups going on. Um, for example, um, here's a big movement going forward, or here's a big testament to account for. Um, so I'm from the Milwaukee area in Wisconsin. And right. one of our beaches, I mean, some of them already have it, but one of our main beaches in Milwaukee um, called Bradford Beach, um, it just implemented this past summer, like a wheelchair pathways to get down deeper into the beach and uh, ramps onto the beach and all that. And that's wonderful. <laughs> that is so cool. So it's like more yeah. of that needs to go on. More of these groups oh, do you know that anything actually want to do it. Do you know how that came to be? Like, have you done the research to find out who did that, who created the, the beach paths? And the yeah, um, I have it. I just can't remember his name on the moment. I'm actually going to have him on the show thinking about that's it at some awesome. point. awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's really great because... That's, you know, that's what we need to do is talk to people that are making stuff happen. And like, and then we have to replicate it. We have to copy change it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, with all this going on and um, rights being fought for, um, especially with marital rights, that's a whole other thing with the disabled community. And just recently, um, we, when you go on YouTube, uh, the popular channel Squirmy and Grubs, also known as Jane yeah. Burkott and Hannah, they just got married. And after oh, that, they thanks. dropped a, a really cool video, um, talk, an informative video talking all about the restrictions and the trials that disabled people have to go through just to get married, you know, such as the fear of getting married as a disabled person, because then, typically speaking, you have to lose your benefits. In fact, um, there's a couple of buddies of mine, like, yeah, they want to get married. They have to meet someone first, of course, but they fear marriage in a way because of that. Because, oh, yeah. I can't get married, Jordan, I'm going to lose my benefits. I'm like, oh my well, it always It always shocks me when I see people in our community that just go ahead and do it, where they're like, oh, I'm in love, I'm getting married. It was like, like off the cuff, like, I can do this. And then I, I feel like a sense of jerk because I'm like, you realize that you just like lost everything, right? <laughs> like I, I'm like, yeah. what did you why did you do that? Yeah. Like, you you're gonna have to go get divorced now. You're like the grim reaper of like benefit news. But yeah, like honestly, like, I always warn people you gotta double, triple check. You've gotta like you've got to make sure that it's not going to impact your benefits because it may not impact like, like there's all kinds of, like a lot of people are saying um, this one waiver type program in Texas allowed you to get married and they were advertising it. And I said, wait, 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 yes, you can get married, but you have to pay a co-payment based on your income and they count your spouse's income as your co-payment which essentially would put you making too much money and you'd become disqualified for the program. So yes, you can get married, but you can only marry someone who doesn't have an income. So, you know, like, so that it's like that, okay, where you yeah. have to research 
you know, because you want to make sure that, you know, like, what does that mean? Like the guy today, when he was talking to me about the cell phone, and then I said, well, you know, what happens if I'm, you know, outside of the state? I mean, a lot of people don't ask that question. And, and then he was like, oh, you're not allowed to go out of the state. And I'm like, well, that's a problem. Don't you think you should let people know that? You know, <laughs> and, and they don't tell anyone. You know, because they don't want to be the they don't want to be the negative Nancy, who is like, oh, I'm sorry, you just went to see your family, and now you're gonna lose all your care. But like, <laughs> like that, it's that kind of stuff. Like, where, you know, you just you yeah, the research is really important. This every state is different. Every and and like I said, it could even come down to the county that you live in. So you have to be really, really up to date and you have to do your own research and you can't expect that people are just going to tell you like you can't have a sense of learned helplessness about you or someone else has got to do that work like Mm -hmm. you have to do the research if you've gone to school and you're literate then you have to take the time and really investigate and if you don't then you're going to be in trouble you're going to find yourself you know you're you're going to find yourself in a in 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 trouble at times and it's it's going to be really stressful (laughs) So, so there is a way. It is it's like, possible. It's just you have to do a lot possible. of digging in between the lines. Oh yeah. Like I'm in a program right now where I can I can marry. I can get married under my program. And but it was a it's 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 kind of a miracle program. I had to do a I found out that in Texas our Medicaid buy-in program does not count spousal income. But you have to keep everything separate. So like for instance, like all of his accounts, everything has to be in his, his name only. And everything in my, you know, has to be in my name. And we can't, we can have joint accounts, but they're going to look at both of those. So we should really just keep our finances completely separate. And like, for instance, if he were to, if we were to buy another house, let's say I was rich enough to get two houses. Like I can only have one house. So one house would be in my name and the other house would be in his name. That kind of thing. So you have to be really careful about how you navigate that. It's possible. You just have to know the rules. Um, some states just don't even allow it at all. So they always count spousal income, they, despite the fact that, you know, you may not, you know, like the, the expectation is that you're one unit and therefore you can afford to pay out of pocket for a tenant care if you make over a certain amount of money. But um, in Texas, always something. they kept us separate so yeah but i mean yeah and i i know a lot about texas stuff but and but um you know all the other states and all the other rules that's why it's really important to have an md united because you know everybody represent like i know stuff about milwaukee because of you you know i know to go to that beach because you just told me about it you know so Mm -hmm. it's really important that people talk and tell people what's good and what's not good and what's helpful and all that stuff Absolutely. But really, always something. It's always a jump and a hoop and all that. So basically, you're telling me when I propose, I should say, will you marry me? Dot, 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 in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's always a catch. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to move to Texas, but I'm not able to move to Texas because I'll lose all my services and I'll have to get on a waiting list. For 20 years in order to get services in Texas and why is the fact why is it that we have to why does our whole entire life have to change if we move to a different state like 
when no one else has to deal with that crap, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really, it's, yeah, there's a lot of fundamental things that need to change. I think um, universal healthcare, Medicare for all, if it's done right, could be a very positive thing for us. Um, if they include a provision for long-term care in communities. If they were to do that, I would be more confident. I worry though, because if you put everybody under a universal program and you don't think about them or have people with disabilities writing those programs, then you end up blocking, you could block a lot. You could do a lot of crazy things. So it's really, it's a dangerous thing because it requires faith that people are gonna be able to run a huge, huge system well. And okay, so, all right, well, let me know about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know, our buddy yeah. and I were talking about this as well. Um, I've always been on the fence about universal health care, of course. Um, it's a big deal. And um, typically, if I wasn't disabled, I'd be like, no way, heck no, get rid of that. But because I grew up, obviously, with the disability, things going on and all what goes on with it and just the disabled life and seeing how my other disabled loved ones are affected by it. And, you know, I got Medicare and you got Medicaid. Um, They have their own way of doing things. And, you know, if there is going to be some kind of universal health care for this and universal Medicare, whatever, based on what I've, based on what I've seen, and what my buddy has seen in how um, federal insurance handles certain things about disability. Yeah, they need to fix a couple things before they graduate to universal health care. First, because we've I seen think, a lot of stuff that they've messed I think up. It can, I think it can be done right. Um, I think that I, I have hope that that it can be done right but at the same time like i know that what is currently happening isn't sustainable either so in my thinking is like well we've already tried it the non-universal way so maybe <laughs> we should try the universal way and see if it improves you know maybe and we, we we model it after other countries that are doing it correctly i don't see why countries that are more um with more social programs or kind of poo-pooed because I, I think that, they, yeah, they may be smaller with smaller populations of people, but they have a model that's working and you can always expand a model. Like, I, I just don't believe that it's impossible to um, copy another country that's doing it correctly, even if it's a small country, like Denmark or, you know, Finland or New Zealand. Like, there's, I mean, yes, they're, but their people are happy and they're educated and they're doing, you know, like the, the ultimate, like it, it's a small sample, but still I think it's possible to like make it go on a larger scale, especially mm-hmm. if you were to have that philosophy with the states, like you keep things possibly still state run, but with a kind of, you know, more like socialistic philosophy, I guess, or you know, more social programs oriented philosophy, social supports, not necessarily socialism. It's such a bad word, but 
it's our definition of socialism in America, like what socialism is and what how we define it is very different. Um, in America, we think socialism is, you know, Medicaid and, uh, you know, Medicaid and food stamps, but they're just social programs. That's not really like the socialism at, at its core is much different from a social program. Mm-hmm. But people don't. People right. research that. It's a very semantics thing. It's interesting. I've never really heard it described that way. That's really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. So in a way, like something like this, that'd be beneficial a lot to the disabled community if done well. Yeah, for sure. It could be done well with the right people, um, you know, and the right leaders and and people with disabilities running those programs. I mean, the key is we should always be pushing to, to be part of the conversation. We should always be looking at that, you know, whether you're doing a podcast and you're inviting politicians to talk to you or, you know, or you're inv- inviting local leaders to communicate with you and learn from you or you're, you know, I mean, you, you have to just do whatever you can to be part of the conversation and just talk to people like they're, I mean, like when I broke it down to the guy and I was like, I can't go on vacation. He was like, I, well, I, I never really thought of that before. And I was like, and, and, and then all of a sudden he was kind of indignant and he was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> and I was like, so tell me who I need to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go to the next person and complain to them. And then I'm going to go to the next person and complain to them. And then, Hopefully, eventually, maybe, maybe they'll write something in a regulation that'll say that people with disabilities in Texas can go on out of state. You know? Yeah, but, that's, um, that's just nuts. Jeez, you know, and what do you think about disabled people practically, not forcing, but like having to go on to private insurances um, just to do all these things, you know? Well, and that's, I know most private insurance doesn't cover long-term care. No private insurance policies do. Um, So, I mean, private insurance is more just to get basic, like, supplies, you know, basic access to, like, appointments and doctors. And, um, but, like, most private insurances would, will not cover long-term attending care. If you want to pay out of pocket, you know, that's, yeah. oh, man. that's yeah. what they're being forced. Yeah, I don't know. It's bad. Yeah, I was spending, I was spending thousands a year on on providing, you know, paying for extra support and stuff out of pocket. And I'm not a rich woman, but you just have to do what you got to do um, to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, do you get Absolutely. 24 hours of care a day? Uh, not yeah. I live at home right now. Uh-huh. So um, I don't have it by definition. Uh, my mom and dad do all the caregiving right now. Oh, wow. And um, I'm a pastor. And so I'm currently looking for my pastor position at a church that's willing to hire me. I'm just kind of looking, oh, cool. doing my job hunting. That's the fun part, you know, job hunting. And um, trying to get an interview. So I've been sending out my applications and stuff for the time being i'm just kind of keeping it in my home state of wisconsin like kind of like what you were talking about earlier in areas that are relatively metro but not too Mm -hmm. rural 
you know, that you mm -hmm. still have access to um, the right transportation, the right resources and all that. So I'm just kind of looking in all the right areas right now uh, to move out finally, you know, nail my pastor job and move out um, with my full-time position. So I'm, I'm kind of in the transitional period right now of trying to initiate it. But no, long story short, I do not currently have like um, all these attendants coming in to fulfill the 24-hour care by that definition. It's the 24-hour care is fulfilled by my parents right now. Um, but when I'm working, um, I'm not working at the moment because I'm, um, I'm going through the process of closing up my stoma from where my feeding tube was okay yeah i've been doing i've been going through so, that all summer yeah. and i had it for so long i had it for 24 years and so that's i'm in the process of surgery next week actually to close oh, wow. it for good on the surface wow yeah it's wow. been long yeah that's a lot to do um i you know i that's fascinating to, to hear that you're wanting to become a pastor or you you know you're a pastor that is looking for placement because i i've i've experienced a lot of inaccessible churches and worship areas and it's been i i i've seen a lot of ableism in, in that in in in, a, in the you know religious community um and it's not necessarily like out to be that way i mean they don't mean that it's just mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, it's, it's, these are, I've never seen a person with a disability be a pastor. I don't know what that looks like. So mm -hmm. like, that's amazing to me. I think it's great. I would, I think he should lead a church. I think that's really important. And I Absolutely. hope you get that position. Um, I'm not a religious person. I, I, I am, you know, not very, I'm spiritual. I would say a little bit, but I'm, you know, but I really think that, wow that would be amazing if you were leading a church like mm -hmm. how cool is that like and now with all the virtual you know virtual casting and virtual sermons and if you could do so much so that's really great mm -hmm. thank you cool. i appreciate that and yeah yeah it is i do see a lot of that with some accessibility in churches some not it's getting there have you um, ever yeah, me too. I've never like, seen besides like Johnny Erickson. I don't know who you know who that is. Um, but she's like a she's a female uh, speaker. Um, um, she does a lot of ministry for people with disabilities, and she's been around for a few decades now. And um, so she had an accident. I think when she was a teenager, she had a diving accident immediately paralyzed from the neck down. And so she decided to use her situation for God's glory. She decided to do a ministry based all around it. And today it's a worldwide ministry. So it's like stuff like that. That's like the only thing I've seen from a very, or I should say severely um, disabled person doing that type of work. Like other than that, I don't see it. Like I don't see disabled pastors. I don't see like hardly any of that. If so, it's like some kind of online thing, but I don't see like the disabled people at the pulpit. No, it's it's interesting. But yeah, 
other than that, I work at my Home Depot. But like I said, not right oh, now okay. because of my feeding tube thing. Yeah, I, I want to close my hole before I go back to work, you know, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, that's kind yeah, of where no, I'm at I mean, right now. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think about people with neuromuscular disabilities that might be wanting to do some kind of service or, you know, go to a, listen to a sermon or, you know, do something on Zoom. So you should totally think about having like a Sunday service for for people to attend, like start your own deal. Like if you, <laughs> you know, you, I mean. I've thought about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. I, I'm really, I admire people that just, I like to hear about different people's jobs and what people are accomplishing um, in their lives. And, 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 you know, that's the, these are the stories that I just don't think MDA is really interested in, you know, the, um, you know, they'd rather have a sad story coming out of your mouth, but, you know, it would be cool if they would interview someone like yourself and talk to them about what the employment world is like for you and, you know, yeah, what, yeah, you know, yeah. you know and, and how that it's challenging to apply for a job for a placement like this and what this is going to mean. And if you get, what if you do get a placement and it's out away from your family and you have to start putting together all this attending care and dealing with all these things and you, well, luckily you you've yeah. given us the resources uh-huh. yeah. so i appreciate you thank you well, yeah that's sure. been a challenge sure. on my end really like i've been yeah. applying to churches for like uh two to three years now yeah. sporadically but more so in the last year or so because i graduated seminary um just over a year ago so i've been applying yeah. all over the state like crazy yeah uh, oh, not one gosh. interview not one. Oh wow! See, that's a problem, me. That's a problem. Like, there's just no reason. Like, you would bring so much to a community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't get it. It's so, like, a, yeah, I'm just doing my thing. I'm applying. It's like not even an interview. I'm like, I want to know for real. Is it because I truly am unqualified for the position? Or I mean, you got my resume. You got my cover letter. You have a video of me preaching and, um, you know, I, I could be saying the same thing as other disabled people. It's like, I got all the resume requirements. I got this. It's like, mm-hmm. honestly, is it the disability that's holding back um, from disabled people getting just the basic interview? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to think it is. I don't want to make like, that's it or blame it that way but uh, I don't know it just really makes me think a lot and it's very frustrating mm-hmm. it yeah is. It, is, it is hard it's hard because like but I I mean I encourage you to not get stuck in that box and right. you know if it's something that you love to do and you you know you want to be a pastor make it man make your church make your online church do whatever you gotta do you know people will build it if you build it they will come (laughs) yeah oh my goodness (laughs) um i mean my home church has been absolutely wonderful and very supportive in giving me opportunities to preach to help me build up my work ethic and helping out in other ministries but right now it's um um, it's just too small to hire me as an associate pastor. 
pastor. It's too small right now to hire me as an associate pastor. So um, maybe eventually, but right now, just kind of job hunting and doing my thing. And that's okay, wherever God wants to take me. Same thing for other disabled people. And if you have to build it, build it. You know, if you have to make your own ministry, do it. Your own job opportunity, do it. And so mm-hmm. that kind of comes to my next question a little bit. It's like a summary question. But like, why does Medicare slash Medicaid make quality of life so challenging? Oh, they don't do it. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're or why does it seem large. like it, I should say. Oh God, it's such a big deal. I mean, it's not, they're not, I mean, Medicaid and Medicare are not people. They are, they're systems and they are run by people. So depending on the people that you meet in and amongst that system is how well that system is going to work for you. It really comes down to people learning how to do their jobs well and doing their jobs and doing it in a way that works for the system and way it works for yourself. And there's, you know, state and federal employees get kind of a reputation for just kind of mailing it in. And they just, they kind of go about their business and check boxes, but they're not really thinking about what they're doing when they're checking those boxes. And my job is to be an active participant in those systems and to call them out and, and hold them accountable for what they're supposed to be doing in their job. And the people that I know that are the most successful in the Medicaid and Medicare systems are people that are not passive. They go into it with an aggressive participatory approach. They go into it with stories to tell and with letters to write and with finding out who this person's manager is and that person's manager is and what is an ombudsman and and how do I get a hold of the ombudsman to complain about the program and the Mm -hmm. system. And they get involved with ADAPT and other advocacy organizations and and they're not lazy about it. And the people that don't do that tend to struggle. I just dropped my my (laughs) earbud. We're good. You know, actually, I think that's that's pretty good. I, I just I want to thank you so much for this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sure. And you're gonna need a lot of support. I don't know how old your parents are, but I mean, you know, uh, they're like Superman and Wonder Woman. They're pretty uh-huh. fit for um, where they're at. They don't look their age at all. It's amazing. Well, I'm glad they're strong. I'm glad they're strong people, but. Like I said, you know, you've got to have a backup. you got to have plan B and plan C. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, like, they're, the, they're there, and my I have two beautiful older sisters that oh. help me out when the time comes. And I got, I'm, I've been blessed with amazing friends and a church family that can help me if needed. So, right now, That's where really I'm at, the, some of the immediate resources are there. And until the actual transition time comes, uh, they'll be there to help me out as well or 
if I get married, they'll be there to help me out and everything. But uh, this has been a great conversation on disability advocacy and the reality of it and the hardships of it and what we and non-disabled people can do about it as well. So thank you so much for all sure. your insight and help with this. Of course, happy to talk to you. All right, well, thank I'm gonna you. sign you out and just thank you again for being on the show and God bless you. Thank you, all right. Wow, so much to learn there from that conversation. I wanna thank Emily Wolinski again for being on the show today and just giving us all of that information and insight into the life of a disabled person and everything we have to go through just to get the simple bare necessities of just caregiving and even the right to be married and how such a chore it is. And, you know, I just want to start concluding all of my episodes with a brief moment of Jordan's thoughts. So, you know, I'm not going to be fake with you and sugarcoat everything. That's kind of the point of why I started doing this podcast in the first place is to just be straight with you, tell you what it's like, and to tell you how it is. And so I'm going to tell you that the disabled life sucks. It really does. It's a borderline nightmare most times, if not all the time. But you know what? Life itself can be like that. When it comes to being disabled, you don't always know who's going to help you get up in the morning. If you want to get up in the morning at all, um, you don't know who is always going to be there on time to help you with your daily tasks. You don't even know if you'll be able to get married as easily as other people. And as Emily was saying, um, there are ways around it, and it's still a little bit tricky, but in the summary of all things, do not lose hope and keep going. I hate to be so cliche, but it is honestly true. You, whether you're disabled or not, you need to hold on to something in this life. Even if it's something just to, well, help you wake up in the morning, literally or metaphorically. Um, we all need something to give us joy. And we all need someone to watch out for us. Personally, um, what keeps me going is Jesus Christ, my family, and all my friends and the gifts that God has given me. And the same can be said for all of you as well. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you have something to give in this world. No matter how hard it is to live from one day to the next, you're not an accident. Even if your life is very difficult, with many challenges, but I tell you, never lose hope. Stay strong and keep going. You're gonna make it. 
with all that said, thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Handy Schlapped. And if you'd like to become a producer of the show, please go to patreon.com slash handy where you can become a monthly subscriber at different levels where you can receive different benefits, including a monthly live Q&A with yours truly, or you can become a guest on the show itself. In time, I'm going to start including some merchandise, um, but I'm still getting that all set up, so I will let you know when that's all set. Thank you, God bless, and take care. This is Jordan Schrader from Handy Schlapped. <laughs>